if uh, you would open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. We're going to begin there today, Matthew chapter 24. I have a, a message today that is guaranteed. Boy, I have, it's like I'm, I have hair everywhere. I'm shedding. Um, I have a message for you today that is guaranteed to either depress you or encourage you. So in one sense, I guess that's like every Sunday, huh? And every one of my messages. Lord, we pray that as we begin this new year, that we might begin a fresh look at the things that are coming, Lord. And we pray, Father, that you would speak to us. We pray, Father, that you would give hope to those who should have hope. We pray, Lord, that you would bring salvation to those who need salvation. We pray, Lord Jesus, that your word would speak deeper than just our ears. We pray that it might penetrate our heart. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 3, it says, Now as he, the he there is Jesus, sat on the Mount of Olives, his disciples, or the disciples, excuse me, came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? He had just told them that the temple would be destroyed, not one stone would remain upon another. And so they wanted to know, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming? And of the end of the age. And Jesus answered and said to them, it's, it's coming, it's coming. And it's going to be really bad. You say, well, I don't see that here in the text. Well, let's read on. He says, first of all, take heed that no one deceive you. He tells us that it will be a time leading up to his return. It will be a time where there will be great deception. He says, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. This is why we need to be people of the word of God. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. Boy, are we hearing that today? The increase of wars and rumors of wars. I think many of us are surprised that um, Russia was not able to immediately, quickly go in and overtake the Ukraine. Um, because it would seem that they were surely able to do that, and everything's kind of ongoing now, isn't it? But that's not the only conflict we have in the world. There's wars and rumors of wars all over the globe today. So Jesus says, it will be a time of wars and rumors of wars. He says, see that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation. That word nation, you know, it means uh, ethnic group. Ethnos is the word. Ethnic group will rise against ethnic group. Now, I'm an old guy. I remember when I was a kid, and we lived in Los Angeles, and uh, one Friday night we were going to go grunion hunting. And uh, so the grunion... I don't know why they would run, but they would run at midnight. They would run, you know, some 
unbelievable hour. My mother was working um, a graveyard shift, and she was getting off work, and then we were going to meet up with some of my aunts and uncles and cousins, and we were going down to Sill Beach to go grunion hunting. But it was put on hold because that was the night that the Watts riots broke out in Los Angeles, and things radically changed in that area. There was great fear in that area. Why? Because it was ethnos against ethnos. I thought those days were long behind us, but we've seen a resurgence of this. And again, it's not just our nation. It's every nation of the world, ethnic group against ethnic group. And kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines. You say, boy, this is a cheerful New Year's message. Well, Jesus is just simply telling, he's answering the question. You know, his disciples wanted to know these things, and so he says, I want you to understand this is what it will be. Famines. Well, that's something that we've heard a lot about recently, hasn't it, Ben? Uh, you know, we know that there's a shortage of supplies. We, we've, if we're paying attention. We know that uh, there's a shortage of manure. We know that farms are being shut down or bought up and then shut down, I guess would be the, the uh, pattern. And that um, there is a shortage of food. I mentioned the Ukraine earlier. The Ukraine is kind of the breadbasket of, of Europe there. And, of course, that's affected Europe. And we know that um, we're, it hasn't come yet. I mean, we haven't seen the, you know, the, the wave hit yet. But we know that there's going to be a leanness in our country as well. Famine? Oh, gosh, I hope not. But Jesus says that there will be famines and pestilence. Well, that's something that's kind of on the chart, isn't it? Pestilence. You say, what, bugs? No, pestilence. You know, viruses. Uh, whoever thought that we would have, and you could almost read between the lines, Jesus, you didn't mention vaccinations and a new phenomena, sudden adult death syndrome that we're not supposed to talk about or we might be canceled or shut down. You didn't tell us about that, Lord. Pestilence and earthquakes in various places. I'll tell you, it's interesting. We've seen some large earthquakes lately and quite a few of them around the world. And then Jesus said that these earthquakes will be in various places, not just in one place, various places. And then verse 8, he says, all these are the beginning of sorrows. It's just the beginning. He says, we haven't even got into the tribulation yet. This is just the beginning, the things that are leading up to the tribulation. Revelation chapter 6. If you would turn there in your Bibles, I'll give you a moment to turn there. Revelation chapter 6. And we're going to begin reading in verse 7. And this is in the tribulation. So Revelation chapter 6. And verse 7, this is the first set of judgments. We know from the book of Revelation that there are three sets of judgments that will take place during the tribulation. You have the seal judgments, seven seal judgments. You have the seven trumpet judgments. And then you have the seven bowl judgments. So this is the first of those judgments that will be poured out upon the world. And it says, when he... The he there is the Lord opened the fourth seal. I heard the voice of the four 
fourth living creature, saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed with him. And power was given to them, that's death and Hades, over one-fourth of the earth to kill with sword, war and rumor of war, nation against nation, with hunger, famine, and death with death, and by the beast of the earth, beast, plural, of the earth. You say, oh, man. Now I'm really depressed. Well, hold on, chapter 9. Let's go to chapter 9, and we're going to look at one of the trumpet judgments. Chapter 9 and verse 1. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. You know, guys, there are always critics of the Bible, and they're usually people who don't read the Bible. They don't study the Bible. I could hear the critics say, we know that stars are larger than the earth. And so it's impossible for a star to fall to the earth. Read the text. The fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth, and to him, not it, was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like smoke of a great furnace, so the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth. Well, that doesn't sound <laughs> that doesn't sound good. Locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power as scorpions. Well, that's worse. Of the earth have power. And they were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green tree or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. So the angel who's fallen or the star who's fallen is actually an angel. How do we know this? Well, guys, in the first uh, or second and third chapter of the book of Revelation, There are seven letters to seven churches, and they're addressed to the seven angels of the seven churches. The word angel could be rendered messenger or angel. It's it's a word. The star can also be speaking of an angel, and obviously speaking of an angel in this particular case here. And so he describes during the tribulation the bottomless pit opening, these locust-like creatures coming out. They're not just locusts, but they have stingers like a scorpion. And they're not to touch anything that a, a natural locust would want, you know, anything green, anything of vegetation that they could eat upon, but only to torment the men who have not the seal of God on their forehead. Now, guys, again, if we're just simply students of the Bible, we know who he's referring to because in the chapters, two chapters before this in Revelation chapter 7, we see the 144,000 Jews. And remember, they're marked with the seal of God. So apparently, during the tribulation, these 
creatures out of the bottomless pit. And I know some will say, oh, that's ridiculous. And I feel sorry for you because you've been brought up in the wrong churches. You've been taught that none of these things are real. And I'll tell you, when you start dissecting the word of God like that, beware. Because probably your denomination has already excluded the first 11 chapters of the Bible. And they've surely excluded the last book of the Bible and many of the prophecies in between the Bible. And you end up with a shattered Bible with no message at all. We need to take the full counsel of the word of God. But Jesus, he says it's going to be bad. The book of Revelation says it's going to be bad. He describes a time when these locust-like creatures are going to come and they're going to torment them for five months, torment the men the people who have not the seal of God on their forehead, so that would be not the 144,000, and they will torment, their torment will be like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. And in those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die, and death will flee from them. So you say, well, okay, Dan, so that's your introduction. I'm really depressed. You warned me beforehand, but I'm depressed. Listen, it's coming, and it's going to be bad. It's coming, and it's going to be really, really bad. It's coming. A time is coming that's marked by death. One-fourth of the earth dies right off the bat. It's coming, and it's going to be bad. There's going to be a time when there will be those who will wish to die, who would desire to die rather than live. And for a five-month period of time during the tribulation, they will not be able to die. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that would look like. I'll tell you, my imagination could imagine a lot of things. It's going to be bad. It's coming. Jesus said, For there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor, no, nor ever shall be. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. You say, why do you have to lay that out? Because, listen, it's reality. If we knew something was coming, if we knew, you know, if I said to you, listen, at, at, at 1215, this building is going to explode. So let's make sure we're out of the building before then, okay? Let's give us some time and prepare ourselves, and you guys go gather the children, and let's get out of this place because this place is going up. You know, you could sit there and say, I don't believe it. I don't want to believe it. Let's keep it positive. Let's just believe that this building is going to remain for the whole service. You know, come on, man. No, 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 no. We have a loving Father who tells us things that are going to happen before they happen so that when they happen, we may know that he is God. He is a loving Father. I'll tell you, as a father, I'm not God, but as a father, I love my children and if I knew something bad was coming in my, one of my children, my child's direction, I would warn that child. I'd do everything I could to say, man, you're, you know, you're on the wrong track here. There's disaster ahead of you. You need to turn. You need to, you need to make some changes in your life. I would do that. And there are a lot of parents. It's like they never want to, you know, address the elephant in the room. And I wonder... The Lord would say, do you love your children? If you love your children, discipline your children, warn your children. And we have a Heavenly Father who's not only said that for us, for people, but he's modeled that. He tells us that things are coming before they come. 
Jesus tells us that the great tribulation is going to be so bad that you cannot compare it to anything. There's nothing you can compare it to. Now, guys, biblically speaking, do we have a reference for God pouring out his judgment upon the whole world in the Bible before the tribulation? Yes. We have the flood. We have the flood. We have the Lord graciously, patiently, you know, Noah was a preacher of righteousness for apparently 120 years. Boy, Lord, you're long-suffering. 120 years. Repent. Oh, you old kook. What are you doing? You crazy guy there, you know. You're telling us to repent, to change our ways. You know, we're fine. Everything's fine. My father lived, my grandfather, my great-grandfather, everything's fine, we're good to go, no problems here. And yet the Lord was faithful to warn. And Jesus warns us. He says, it's coming. It's coming, and it's going to be bad. But here's the thing. You're either in one of two camps. You're either a believer, so you're in the ecclesia, that's the Greek word for church, you're in the ecclesia of Christ, or you're not. You're outside the ecclesia of Christ. Now, none of us are born into the church. A lot of people, a lot of denominations do this. And I'll tell you, this is why denominations are dying. You can't be born into a relationship with Christ. That would be wonderful if you could, you know. You could be born into an environment where you have parents that love Christ and serve Christ and they will train you up in the ways of Christ. But you're not automatically a Christian simply because you're born into a family that goes to church. See, there's a lot of people that say, well, I go to church, I go to this church, I go to that church, and so I'm okay with the Lord. Where do we get that from? We don't get that from the Bible at all. This church is a fellowship of believers but this is not the church the church is the body of christ made up of all true believers from the birth of the church on the day of pentecost i'm referring to acts chapter 2 to the last christian who will live upon the earth until jesus comes and takes us home that's the church the church is made up of Members from all over the world, generation after generation, ethnic group after ethnic group. I mean, it's just a beautiful, beautiful picture. We're likened to the body of Christ. Many members, one head, Christ is the head. So it's important that you go to a local church, but don't ever think because you go to a local church or because you were baptized as a baby, or because you were confirmed when you were 12, or because you belong to this denomination, or because your father is good, in good standing and a member of the local church, that, make, that makes you right with the Lord. You're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. If you're not in Christ, listen, if you're not in Christ, you need to know it's coming and it's going to be bad. It's going to be really, really bad. If you are in Christ, you need to know that there are promises that are given to you as a Christian. Let me show you some of these promises. Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Much more than having now been justified, 
by his blood. How is a person justified? By his blood. It's not our doing. It's not our goodness. It's not our achievement. It's faith in him. He died for our sins. And when we place our faith in him, we are justified. That word means declared righteous is what the actual word means, to be declared righteous. And it's not just declared righteous before your fellow man. More importantly, it's declared righteous before God himself. So he says, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. You say, why are you reading it like that? Because if you've read the book of Revelation, you know that the majority of the book of Revelation deals with the wrath of God. In fact, we see the wrath of God being poured out in the very beginning, the first set of judgments, the sealed judgments, the wrath of God has come. And it's about God's wrath. You might say, well, what's he so angry about? Listen, the tribulation is a time where the Lord pours out his wrath, his vengeance, if you will, upon a Christ-rejecting world. A Christ-rejecting world. But if you're a Christian... Well, I just read you one verse. I'm going to show you some other verses. But I just read you one verse that said that we're saved from wrath through him. Why are we saved from wrath? Because the wrath that was due us was poured out upon Christ when he hung upon the cross. Remember when Jesus was hanging upon the cross? What did he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, the separation at that time. We can't even imagine what it must have been like. It's interesting to note that the word that's used here for from, it's the Greek word apo, and it means off or away from something near. Well, the tribulation is going to be on the earth, and if you're on the earth, you're going to be near it. But being saved from wrath, off or away from something near, from place, from time, are from relationship to. Listen, if it was the church will be saved through the tribulation, that the church was going through the tribulation, then Jesus would have said, then the Bible would declare, you're going to be saved through the tribulation. It doesn't use that word. It uses the word from. From. You're out of here. You're not going to be here. You're not going to be going through it, but protected. We are saved from hell through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. But listen, the Bible declares we are also saved from the hell, if you give me liberty there, maybe lowercase h, the hell that's coming upon the earth, the great tribulation. We're saved from it through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10, Paul writes, And to wait for his Son from heaven. That's what the church is supposed to be doing, by the way. Shame on Christians who aren't waiting for Jesus to come back. What are you doing? You know, And sadly, that's where we are today. It's sad that that's where we are today. But Paul says, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who, listen, who delivers us 
The word delivers, it means to draw out for, for oneself, to rescue. I like that. He says that he's coming, and when he comes, he will deliver us from the wrath to come. I encourage you to read the context, and you'll see that the context of what Paul was writing in First Thessalonians is dealing with this time of tribulation. Same epistle, same letter, in chapter 5 and verse 9. Paul wrote, for God did not appoint us. Who's the us? Well, the us is the redeemed. The us is the saved. The us are those who have placed their faith in Christ. He has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through, the Lord, through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on a few verses further down, and he says, therefore, comfort each other and edify one another. I said, today you'll either leave here depressed or encouraged. And here's the encouragement. If you're in Christ Jesus, these things, the fact that the Lord has revealed these things to us before they've come, is so that we might be comforted in the days in which we live. It's coming. It's coming, so we must be ready. So how do we make ourselves ready? Well, you must be born again. That seems like such a strange phrase, doesn't it? You must be saved. We kind of understand that one a little bit more. What does that mean? Again, it doesn't mean I go to a particular church or I belong to a, you know, this denomination or I'm trusting in something my parents did you know, or something like that. No, it's, 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 it's you personally receiving Jesus. In fact, Jesus said to a religious leader, to a leading Pharisee of his day who came to him at night, Jesus said, you must be born again. He didn't say to the religious leader, you know what? You got it down, man. You know the Torah. You know the Bible. You're a teacher of the word. You got it down. You're good to go. You're in like, no, he didn't say that. He says, you must be born again. And then Nicodemus, he didn't understand. He says, I'm an old man. Am I to enter my mother's, how can I enter my mother's womb? You know, it's just kind of a gross thought, you know. But he didn't understand it because he's just thinking naturally. We could understand how he would be thinking that way. But Jesus said this, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water. And this speaks of natural birth. What happens at natural birth? What are you waiting for, the husbands? What are we waiting for? My water broke. You know, all right, now it's good to go. Now we're going. This is go time. The water has broken. It's time to go. Now, some of you might be saying, no, he's misinterpreting that. That's obviously baptism. Can baptism save anybody? Your denomination might teach that, but the Bible doesn't teach that. Let me show you. In fact, I hope that you turn there so that you see it in its context. Don't believe me. You need to look at it yourself. It's John chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. So turn there, if you will. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, natural birth, and the spirit, spiritual birth, or spiritual rebirth, or regeneration, Jesus says he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, know what he says. Follow the, the line of, of, of speech here. He says, that which is born of the flesh. See, he's obviously referring to that which is born of water, that which is born of the flesh, the fleshly life. That's birth. I mean, you have to be born 
First, the physical life, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. He says you must be born again. How can you be ready? Listen, how can you move from that depressing place of it's coming and it's going to be bad and I'm going to be here because I'm not one of the 144,000 Jews because I'm not a Jew and I don't fall into that category. How can I be prepared for what's coming? You need to change your position. You need to place your faith in Christ. As you place your faith in Christ, you become the ecclesia of Christ. And the ecclesia of Christ, the church of Christ, will not be here. That generation, when the tribulation comes, they will not be here on the earth during the tribulation. But you must be born again. You must place your faith in Christ. You must say, Lord, I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I acknowledge that. I understand that you came, the perfect one, the sinless one. You died upon the cross for my sins. I, you know, John 3.16, have you heard it? You know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever works really hard, no, 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 whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, religious people say that's too easy. I don't like that. We've got to work. We've got to work. Well, you're reading some other book. The works follow salvation. The works don't achieve salvation. It's for the person who's saved, then we become the workmanship of Christ. You know, we're, we're called, we're created for good works. But we don't work our way to salvation because no one can do that. It's not good people. It's saved people who will be spared the things that are coming upon the earth. We have a promise from Jesus in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 10. He says, because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Are you in him? Are you trusting him? Is he your Lord? Are you living for him? You're not going to be here during the tribulation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians 15, guys, when you read your Bibles, read your Bibles like you read other books, except with this difference. Before you read your Bibles, pray, asking the Holy Spirit to teach you the Word of God. But when you read your Bible, you read context, right? And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the context is resurrection, I mean, it's hard to believe that there were believers, there were those who placed their faith in Christ in Corinth who doubted that there was going to be a resurrection of the dead. And so the Apostle Paul, he lays out this whole argument, the whole chapter, chapter 15, or the majority of the chapter, and he says, listen, you know, guys, there's going to be a resurrection. Jesus is the first fruit. He was resurrected. You believe he was resurrected. If he's not resurrected, there is no salvation. So you believe he's resurrected, he's the first fruits, he's the first, you'll follow if you die in Christ, you'll be resurrected, you know, one day. And then he comes to the end of that teaching on the resurrection, and he says, behold, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep. And the word sleep there means die. 
And again, don't take my word for it. You need to do your own due diligence and look at that word in the original language because, guys, remember that the Bible was not written to us in English. <laughs> it was written in Hebrew, Aramaic, some portions, few portions, and Greek. And so we, we need to go back to the original language so we could appreciate. He says, we shall not all sleep or die, but we shall be changed. And he talks about the changes that will take place. And he says, the dead will be raised incorruptible. So there's an order. First, the dead, those who have died in Christ. We know he's not speaking of just those who have died, because that falls under the category of the second resurrection. The second resurrection is not unto life, but unto the second death, according to the book of Revelation. But for the believer, the believer who dies in faith, he is, she is absent from the body, present with the Lord. I mean, you know, you're not in a state of limbo, purgatory, needing to be prayed out. The Bible doesn't teach that. Beware of doctrines, of demons that have infiltrated the church. Be a student of the word. Be a student of the word. And you will not be deceived. But there's an order. The dead in Christ will rise first. So that will happen. And then Paul goes on and he describes the other changes that will take place. He says, and we shall be changed. So we, those who are still alive, shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. Immortality literally means deathlessness. Well, boy, if you're in Christ, that should put a smile on your face. It puts a smile on my face. Deathlessness. That's the change that needs to happen. This body's dying daily. It started dying the day I was born. I mean, really. But one day, the dead in Christ will be raised first, and then those of us who are alive will put on deathlessness. There'll be a change. In fact, Paul wrote about this to the Thessalonians. He says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Same order, right? Guys, when you're reading the Bible, if we're paying attention, there are so many blessings along the way. I mean, it's like these explosions of blessings. If you're truly a student of the word of God, you're not just having someone read it to you, but you're reading it. You're holding your paper Bible. I'm really strong on paper Bibles because they will not, <laughs> you know, pass away. You could write in them. You could mark them. You could erase what you wrote and write down other things that you're gleaning from the text. It says, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. So there's a di distinction between those who have died and those who are alive. There's a time in, in the church uh, in a generation of the church where Christians will not experience death. But they will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, and here we have it again, guys, it's a pattern. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. He tells us things that are going to happen so that we might be comforted. Listen, you're either in one category or the other category. Things look bleak. You think things are getting better? Have things gotten any better in the past three years? 
They're talking about more lockdowns. I mean, you talk about, you know, people talking out of both sides of their mouth. You have the same individuals saying completely opposite things when it comes to what, what's going on in the world. We have Fauci saying, you know, yeah, we never should have worn the mask and, and all these troubles with the vaccination and all of these different things that are taking place. And yet we're still moving in that direction. More lockdowns are coming. Some places, I heard just yesterday that places like San Diego, my hometown where I grew up, they, they, they've got the whole thing back on, you know, L.A., Los Angeles has the same thing going on. It's coming to a city near you, you know. And I'll tell you, that depresses me. And it depresses me when people just kind of, you know, like the sheeple, you know, just, you know, whatever we're supposed to do, you know, rather than taking a stand and saying, no, no, we're not going to stop meeting. We're not going to stop singing. We're not going to stop gathering together. Jesus told us, because Jesus knows things before they happen, and he told us in, the, in Hebrews that we're not to forsake this, and yet we're forced to forsake this for something that really wasn't a danger for the majority, I'm emphasizing that, the majority of the population. See what I'm saying? Those things depress me. But when I get back into the Word, and I read the Word of God, and I say things are, things are bad. It's coming, and it's going to be bad. But I'm not going to be here. Not because I'm a great person, but because I'm a saved person. I'm a saved person. Not because I'm a good person, but because I'm trusting fully in Christ. And I have hope. i got to close this thing up. Last service. I went so long, I will not do that to you, but... The purpose of the first coming, his first coming, was atonement for sin and redemption of repentant sinners. That was the purpose for the first coming. The purpose for the second coming is, is judgment at first, and then the establishment of his kingdom, guys. There will be a literal thousand-year kingdom upon this earth where people will enter into it that have not tasted death, you know, that will be alive when Jesus comes. I don't know that There'll be many, but they will enter in. There will be those of us, I believe, that have been taken before the tribulation period begins, and we will come back with the Lord, you know. Uh, Revelation chapter 19. The purpose of the rapture is to remove the church from the earth before the time of wrath begins, because we're not subject to the wrath of God. Guys, listen, the Bible, again, there's so many blessings. There's so many things that just blow your mind. If, if we're just simply students of the Bible, dependent upon the Holy Spirit to teach us. But, you know, we have foreshadows of the rapture in the Old Testament. There's many of them. I'm going to give you just a few. We have Enoch. You know, guys, listen... There's one way in, and there's one way out. The one way in is birth. The one way out is death. Everybody dies. But two in human history, Enoch and Elijah, they never tasted death. They're a picture of 
that generation of the church, when the rapture takes place and Jesus takes his church home, that will not experience death. They're a foreshadow of that. Enoch, Enoch. We're told that Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. Now, if that's all we had, there would be people, well, that's your interpretation. Listen, that's not my interpretation. We have a commentary in the Bible on what Enoch experienced. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, by faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he had or before he was taken, <laughs> he had this testimony that he pleased God. Do you know what Enoch means? It means teaching. It also means dedicated. And Enoch, by his, his name and his life, teaches us the importance of being fully dedicated to the Lord. The Lord is not like an insurance policy, you know, it's like a death policy, you know, in case I die, you know, I'll leave some money for my spouse or whatever. That's not what the Lord is. When you read the scriptures, the Lord is everything to the person who's placed their faith in him. We have Enoch's first son. Do you remember who that was? Methuselah. Everyone knows who Methuselah was because he's the oldest man who ever lived. Methuselah, old Methuselah. The children sing songs about Methuselah. Methuselah. Well, his name was a message to his generation. Did you know that? His name means his death shall bring. Here's the question. What did his death bring? Answer, the flood. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. It wasn't that Methuselah brought the flood. Guys, I want you to see the picture here. God says, I regret that I created the earth. Everyone does what's right in their own eyes. Whatever enters their own wicked hearts, they do it. They don't serve me. They don't seek me. I'm going to destroy the earth. The only other time where God's wrath was poured out upon the entire earth was the flood. By the way, listen, listen. There's a reason why Christians, there's a reason why denominations get out of those churches. There's a reason why they say we cannot believe the first 11 chapters. See, guys, it does not just destroy the whole purpose of redemption, the cross. When you delete the first three chapters of Genesis, the first three chapters of your Bible, it deletes even... God's wrath and judgment and the principles that we could see there. God says he's going to destroy the earth. He tells Noah to preach and he preaches. No doubt he preaches repentance. But you see the long suffering of God. You know, let me turn there real quick. In uh, Second Peter chapter 3, it says, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, 
that with the Lord one day is a thousand is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I don't know that it was communicated to anyone. Maybe it was just in the heart of God, where he says, when Methuselah's gone, the flood comes. That's it. How long is he going to live, Lord? For a long, long time. (laughs) Because I'm going to give you ample opportunity to repent. Do you see it, guys? Do you see how beautiful this is? This is the heart of God. He doesn't glory in pouring out his wrath. He wants people to come to repentance. If you're here today and you haven't placed your faith in the Lord, he wants you to come to repentance. He wants you to surrender your life to him, to believe in him, to live for him. It's almost as if, as long as Methuselah was on the earth, God's judgment would not come upon the earth. We have Lot in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham asked the question, would you, he's speaking to the Lord, would you, Lord, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? And then he got his answer, hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive. There was no judgment until the righteous were removed from the scene. There is a principle We see it in the Old Testament. It applies in the New Testament. If we're going to go through the tribulation, some don't even believe in the tribulation. But if we're going to go through the tribulation, as some suggest we are going to, you know, then it would have said through. But we're going to, this principle is seen. I cannot do anything until you arrive. You cannot do anything until the righteous are removed. Let me put it this way. The church is like Methuselah and Lot, We must be removed before God's wrath is poured out. Now, you know, Peter told us that in the last days there would be scoffers and they would be saying, where is the promise of his coming? And I used to always think, as a younger Christian, I used to think that those must be non-believers criticizing believers who believe that Jesus is coming back. I don't believe that any longer. Because it has been proven that what it is, what Jesus, what Peter was telling us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is that believe it or not, even those within the church are going to be scoffing at the idea of Jesus coming back. It's not the outside, it's those who claim to be a part of. And this is what we're seeing today. Do you know that some of the most heated debates and, and, and sarcasm and criticism is directed toward those who believe in a pre-trib rapture. You should check it out. It's hostile out there. And I think, you know, this is something that should comfort us. This is something we should talk about to comfort one another rather than debate with one another. And here's the fact of the matter. You can believe whatever you want. And when we go, you can tell us that we were right. Well, here's, here's the rub. People say, what makes you think that you'll be exempt from persecution or death or hardships? What makes you think that that you're exempt from that? I don't think that at all. 
I believe this. I believe the scriptures are clear that we will be saved from the wrath to come. It's clear. But the Bible also promises us persecution. It's the same Bible. Escape from the wrath of God, guaranteed, promised persecution. Guys, here's the thing, and I don't know why people can't get it right in their mind. God doesn't persecute us. People do. God's wrath is different than persecution for being a follower of Christ. It is so different. They're they're not related at all. In fact, Jesus said, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Do you know this verse, my my auto-corrector on my computer kept wanting to change the word will to would. I hate that auto-corrector sometimes. Because, you know, this woke world we live in, whenever I use spokesman, it wants to change it to spokesperson, you know. You know. Um, but anyway, the world would like to, even some within the church would like to change it that way. Let me read that. Jesus said, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they would persecute you also if they were given an opportunity. That's not what it says. It says they will. Jesus said to the church of Smyrna, the persecuted church, after he told them of the coming persecution, that they would be persecuted. And, and he, the way he describes himself, I'm he who was dead and am, is alive. What does he say to them? He doesn't say, hey guys, don't worry about it. You're good to go. No, he says, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Here's the thing. And hopefully this doesn't depress you. Hopefully you're secure enough in your faith that you're growing, you're maturing in your relationship with Christ, your understanding of the scriptures, that you understand these things. We are exempt from the wrath of God. We will not be here during the tribulation. But how bad will things get? We already know. We're watching how things are getting just right across the border from us in Canada. You know, things that once people would be able to freely speak of. I mean, this is what the Bible teaches, so I'm just freely teaching these things. I should say it's not just across the border. I think it was just a week or two ago, the fellow in Seattle was reading the scripture. He's reading from Romans chapter 1. The people that were gathered there began to assault him. And, uh, I mean, really, you know, tear up his Bible and assault the guy. The police came and arrested him. So we're not that far from the persecution that's coming. We're not exempt from persecution. So here's the thing. You're either in Christ or you're not. If you're not, repent. Turn from your sin. Ask the Lord to forgive you. Place your faith in him and you'll be saved. You'll be saved from hell and you'll be saved from the hell that's coming to this earth during the tribulation.
If you're a believer, take comfort in the fact that you are going to be kept from the wrath of God that will be poured out upon this earth. Take comfort in that. Though they destroy the body, they cannot destroy the soul, the spirit, your your true you. If you're a believer, guys, listen. Bible prophecy is not meant to depress us. It's meant to equip us so that we might recognize and not be surprised when things begin to change. Oh, they shut down the church again. Oh, they closed down our bank account. Oh, they, 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 I can't go to the market now because I don't have this or I don't have that. And all of these are precursors to what we see coming in the book of Revelation, right? So rather we should just say, well, I saw that coming or I didn't think that was going to come so soon, but here it is, you know. And that we'd be people are recognizing the times in which we're living because we're students of the word of God. We're not just hearers of men. We're diligent students of the word on our own. And we're looking up. As we see these signs happening all around, we're looking up. What are you looking for? My redemption is nearer than when I first believed. He's coming. I love to be around people who have the same heart. I, I first thing this morning, I received a text from somebody, and uh, they ended the text by saying, this could be the year, Maranatha. And I said, amen. Do you know what Maranatha means? It's in your Bible. It means, come, Lord Jesus. That should be the heart of the church. It's not, oh, don't come, Lord, don't come. It's going to get better. It ain't getting better. It's coming. And it's going to be bad. But you don't have to be here. Place your faith in Christ. Father, we pray, Lord Jesus. Come on, Nehemiah. You guys do the last song. We pray, Lord Jesus. Stand with me, please. We pray that if there are any here that have not placed their faith in you, that you would persuade them, Lord. I don't want to frighten anyone into receiving you, though there's some motivation there, clearly. But pray, Lord Jesus, that you would just uh, draw men and women unto yourself. We pray, Father, that we would, as your church, not be lukewarm in these days in which we live, but that we would be zealous on fire for you and for the truth. There would be people who recognize it's coming and it's going to be bad. So I need to get out and warn people by sharing the gospel with them, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ that they could be saved. So Lord, we pray that you would help us. In Jesus' name we ask, amen.